back to The Color of Success, The Black Academic Experience. I'm Brianna, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Maddie Tito, and our special guest today, Dr. Tanika Steed. Welcome, Dr. Steed. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I am the principal consultant at Wuling Agency, and we are a research and management firm, and we help organizations measure and improve their programs and services. I am originally from North Carolina. I'm from a small town called Rockingham, Richmond County. Shout out to the Richmond Raiders. <laughs> um, so that is me in a nutshell. Like I am Tinkerbell. That's my nickname. Um, that's who I resonate with. I've been called that name since I can remember. I actually asked my mom, my aunts, like, who named me that? And when did y'all start calling me that? And my aunt was like, ever since she was a baby. <laughs> I can see it, though. Um, now that you said. So, like, that's who I am. Um, I'm really in tune with Mother Nature ever since I've been here on Earth. I'm really tuned with that. I got here on this side of the world <laughs> it was like what is this <laughs> <laughs> it's ghetto down here it is, it is. Um, but as I grew up I love education so much and I love learning so much I used to play teacher with my sisters and my cousin <laughs> nobody wanted to listen but I still had my board and my chalk and I was teaching lessons okay <laughs> um, so I always loved education and I grew up very very poor we grew up in the project we live with my grandmother, my cousins, my aunts, my uncles. So we were, aka, struggling, okay? So as the young people would say, I got out of the mud. <laughs> but that's really a street term, but I'm not going to go down there. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, so education was my way out of poverty. It was my way um, to get to the vision that was given to me at birth, the vision that regardless of what I was growing up in and around the environment that I was in, that I knew that I was bigger than that and that I was going to be something someday and I was going to leave Richmond County. And I didn't know where I was going and I never really experienced that much outside of Richmond County except I did live in Maryland one year when I was in the fourth grade and came back. So we had family in Maryland, so we used to travel back and forth from there. But I knew the world was bigger and I knew that I had a message, I knew that I had a gift, and I knew that if I focused on my books that education was going to open up that doorway and it actually has. And so you went straight through school? You went through high school, undergrad, master's, second master's? Yes, yes. I went straight through school. Um, it's so funny because growing up around, I don't like to say parents because I grew up intergenerational family, if that's something you could say, but the people that were around me, they were high school dropouts. So they were really focused on, you know, how can I make money to pay the bills? How can I, you know, get a job and just, you know, that whole same like rat race or whatever. So I didn't really have anyone around me educating on me like what college really was, how to access college, um, financial aid, any of that, any of that stuff. Um, one of my high school friends, rest in peace, um, Elinette Diggs, she was like, girl, we got to go to Central. And I'm like, what is Central? <laughs> and it was like this girl named Tara Reed at the time. She was maybe like four years older than us, but she went to Central. And she was like, Tara goes here, X, Y, Z. She got me the application. I filled it out. 
and I got in. That was the only college application I filled out. Okay. <laughs> I got in. I got a scholarship. Um, and the rest is history. I didn't understand college majors. I didn't know anything, y'all, when I think about it. Um, I knew that I wanted to understand behavior and how people think, uh, why people do what they do. And I studied psychology. Um, when I got into psychology, I had an internship at Duke. And uh, it was in a clinical setting, if you will. It was behavioral um, feedback uh, clinic. And at the end of the internship, I got a uh, file of patients or whatever. So I had to go in and you know, assess my own patients and then go back to the round table with the doctors and the other graduate students. And so when I got in there and I told them you know, everything that was on the chart, the doctor said, okay, Tanika, so what are you diagnosing this patient with? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was only like 19 or 20 at the time. Just like, I, I don't know. Like, I just took intro to psychology. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And so he sent me back in and I came back out and I was still stuck, but he helped me. And so that day I left my internship, I was like, I don't want to diagnose patients and label them. Mm. But the part I did love about the internship was a psychological assessment. Mm -hmm. So I went to my dorm room, I got my book out, and I found psychometrics. I did some research on that, and then I discovered there was a program in North Carolina at UNCG that mm -hmm. offered um, this study. So after that, I graduated, I applied to UNCG, and I got denied, I got rejected the first time. And so I, I was devastated. And I decided to apply to Central again, and I got into the sociology program. I got into that program and I did amazing. And then I reapplied to other schools, but I also reapplied to UNCG again. Um, and I got in the second time. So yeah, I went straight through. I, I it was like nonstop non-stop I was determined I was going to get my PhD because I decided in undergrad that was what I was going to do because I felt like it was not enough of people who looked like me who had PhDs so I was determined to do that. Big ups for the perseverance and we don't talk about the denials I actually also was denied by UNCG the first time I applied and really? so yeah how many times did you apply Brie? One time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. Oh uh, yeah but yeah, it's important and the perseverance to come back is definitely necessary. Well, you said you chose, like you applied to other schools. What made you choose to come to UNCG? Tuition cost. Stay. <laughs> 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 I actually did get into the University of Maryland program. Mm -hmm. um, I denied it because I asked them for assistantship and they say, oh, we don't have it. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. Even though I got in, even though I probably be the only person of color there, I was just like, I need money to go here. I forgot how much it was going to be, but it definitely was probably over $30,000 um, to go there. Uh, and I was just like, this is not even worth it. So I wanted to stay in state and take advantage of the less cost of going to school. <laughs> yeah. That is smart. That's what we've heard repeatedly. Like... <laughs> Pay attention to the money, <laughs> like because you gotta pay it back or mm -hmm. something. You gotta use all your resources that are available to you. 
But I guess I just, just to gain an idea of like what school was like for you when you started in, when did you start, 2009? Well, your second master's? Okay, so I graduated undergrad in 2005. I got my second, my first master's in 2007. I got my second master's in 2009. You started your doctoral program in 2009? Yeah. Well, well the way it, it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Technically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just to get an idea of like what was going on in the world during that time, 2009, we had our first black president. Yeah. So what was it like? So it was exciting. You know, everybody was celebrating. So <laughs> it was like the whole country was happy. We got a black president. My president is black. My yeah, too. Exactly. <laughs> so that was exciting time. Even in music, um, it was just the best times. I miss those times. I think about it now. Um, it was amazing. But in undergrad, the climate was different because we, when I first went to undergrad, that's when 9-11 happened. So it was totally different. It was frightening to be away from home and George Bush get on the TV and say, we're going to war. Like, what does that really mean for me? Because when my grandparents talk about war, it was just like this devastating thing. Like people going off the war, they're being killed and not coming back, coming back home. And I was like, what does this mean for us? It was very, very scary being an 18 year old um, away from home at the time when that happened. So. We went through the whole 9-11 situation. Besides that, we lost Aaliyah, okay? <laughs> that's a big thing. That's a big thing. We lost Aaliyah um, because for me, that's my generation. Like, Aaliyah was, like, the top number one R&B person at the time when I was growing up. Um, that's when we had CDs, and I used to walk around my community <laughs> with my headphones on listening to my CD or whatever. So... It, it and from 2001 to like about 2006, seven, it was America trying to figure out who we are and where we're going and how we're going to keep our place safe. And then you have, even though I wasn't impacted by that, but the other people like the Muslim community, the things that they went through now that I'm reading back and trying to understand that, the things that they were going through and, you know, being, I don't know the right word to say, but. It, it was a hard time, I would say that. But then when President Obama came, 07, 08, I believe that might have been my first time voting. I think I was in undergrad or either I was in my first master's program, it was my first time voting, so that was exciting to stand in the long lines to vote for a black man. Um, I even remember watching TV when President Obama announced that he was going to run for president. Like, can you imagine just growing up in the South that's very racist um, and you're not seeing a lot of people black, like being successful, even in political um, positions, announce that they're going to run for president. And he had his two little girls, that oh. brown little girls on, you know, on the stage with his wife. Like, that was so powerful back then. So, it was amazing time. It was celebrated. Everybody was partying, okay? So, <laughs> so that was my political experience, like, um, in college. And then right when I had finished my PhD program, I believe that's when Obama was kind of transitioning out, um, and then Trump was kind of entering in, but yeah. Oh, and do you think on the UNCG campus that excitement was also echoed, or did you find that it was divided. I'm not sure because you know the undergrad experience is different from the graduate experience. Mm -hmm. So when you're a graduate student, you're all in your books. Mm -hmm. 
you come to campus, you go to class, that's it. And you go home and you're in your book. So I can't really speak on that. But I would say overall, the political climate on campus, it was easy breezy. It was easy breezy. How about in your program? When it comes to what? Like amongst your peers. So what was the what was it like to be a graduate student in a department or a program? Was that a warm experience? Do you think first of all, like were you the only person who was brown or black? Uh so <laughs> I say overall it was it wasn't a bad experience. It was a different experience. When you come from an HBCU and then you come to a predominantly white institution, I was looking around in the class like, where are the black people? Like, where are us? Like, this doesn't make sense. But then we get mad when these policies, you know, are not in our favor, change not in our favor. And you you can't really be mad because you know why because we're not sitting at those tables when I had my internship at college board when I was a graduate student at UNCG and I went there and they had one of their like testing task committee or whatever I was in that room and it was about 25 people do you know 99% of them were white old men there was one black man and there was one white woman. And I was the only brown little, brown little girl <laughs> in the room. Hey, wow, these are the people that are making the decision about the SAT, the ACT for the nation. Okay. And it's not a black woman in sight. And it is not a black person in sight. Basically, I mean, want to talk bad about anybody, but I don't even think the black man was really black. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. So, my experience, over time, there were different experiences. I would say, as far as being the only black person, I'm talking about black American first. I'm going to mm-hmm. say black American, there was only one other black American, maybe two, two black Americans in the program. One was a male and one was a female. And shout out to Dr. Thais. Uh, <laughs> she was so excited when I got into the program. She was like, she could have jumped for joy. Like when I walked through that door, she was excited. Unfortunately, she ended up getting a job like a year later, but she's still my boo. I love her. And so when she left, it was like, okay, I'm alone. I'm alone in this it's like, who is my support system? Now, we did have other people of color who are Africans, but their experiences are different because they're not from America. They don't mm-hmm. understand, like, what we experience and um, what it means to be black in America. But I do love them because they're so supportive and treat you like they're your own. And so I had, and it, and majority of them were males. So <laughs> there were not any other brown females in the program. Um, if you want to count Asians, but Asians actually have, they create their own community, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I, I had my African friends and I love them to death, okay? Mm-hmm. I pride myself in having friends from Africa, from different countries, from Cameroon, Malawi, like you just name it. So <laughs> I'm excited to be connected to those people. So 
If I didn't have them, I don't know where I would be. And shout out to Davy's store. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Davy's store. <laughs> and it's time for our ad break. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be right back. Are you a therapist of color struggling to find your place in the mental health world? Sparkle Healing LLC has got you covered. Located in the D.C. metropolitan area, they focus on helping the helper. Discover their exclusive therapy services designed for therapists and other helping professionals to thrive. Immerse yourself in a supportive community, elevate your practice with expert consulting and supervision, and don't miss their rejuvenating wellness retreats crafted to replenish your mind and spirit. Sparkle Healing LLC, where therapists find solace, community, and professional growth. Visit them today at www.sparklehealing.com. Tune in to a brighter future. Welcome back to The Color of Success, the Black Academic Experience. Outside of your classmates or maybe the few students that looked like you, where did you get your support throughout your program? Outside of us students, a couple of professors. Shout out to Dr. Rick Leck. He actually kind of took me under his wings. Um, I work with him a lot on different projects, which I really appreciate. And to this day, he sends opportunities my way. Um, and that is truly a blessing. Also, my chairperson of my dissertation, Dr. John Wilsey, if he didn't guide me through my process and, you know, hold my hand and keep me accountable and to stay on top of, you know, my work to graduate, well, to finish the dissertation and graduate, then I don't know what I'll be without him. And I will also say shout out to Dr. Terry Ackerman. He was a great supporter in um, us people of color in the program. I know he ended up leaving, but he had a mission to increase the number of people of color, especially black people in our program. So those three people kind of were my support system um, that stood out the most that, that I could lean on. Besides that, y'all, <laughs> no, no one else, no, no one else. So it's very isolating when I think about it now, very much isolating. Yeah. And going through your classes, were there any experiences that sort of made you feel like you belong or that like you don't belong? In the classroom? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I didn't have those experiences at all. You said you isolated yourself and you may have not had like as many streams of support thinking back on it but how did you keep yourself up because I know as a graduate student there are some times that I'm just like uh I'm gonna quit tomorrow (laughs) and I'm gonna go back to being a PE teacher (laughs) so what did you do during those times it's a never give up for me (laughs) I had the vision for a long time for years and so I was determined to get my PhD like I had no doubt I never had the thought of quitting. Um, I think because I was focused on getting there um, and knowing that, okay, I get my PhD, I can make six plus figures, okay? And I can finally, you know, get off the ground and, and build a life that I really want to live. That's what kept me motivated. Um, throughout my whole life so if, if I'm determined if I have a vision and I and I feel like it's something I really want to do I'm going to make sure that I do it so that's what keeps me going um, and also shout out to my partner he actually has been there since day one um, and so 
he actually has been a big support system and making sure <laughs> that I was a good student. He put a lot of pressure on me, y'all. A lot of pressure. It was just like nothing less than an A. Okay, can you imagine? Okay, like I literally cried when I got my first A minus. Okay. Wow. My husband's the same way. He's like, how much time? He's like, do your work. He's like, you could be done by now if you just did your work. Yeah, like literally cry. I'll never forget that A minus. And it was actually outside of the um, department. So I was pissed. <laughs> exactly. Like, how dare they? Like, no, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> but um, I still graduated 3.9. But still, you know, I mean... I I was so focused on that. It, I was just driven by that. So that's what kept me going. So, Dr. Steed, is there any advice, support that you wish you had looking back on your graduate school experience? Yeah. So when I look back at it, I wish I would have had like this network of black professional women that have PhDs, advanced degrees, period, and how they handle and navigate it, like graduate school, going into um, the workforce. Mm -hmm. um, I think that would have been very valuable for me so I could understand that I was enough and that I had already accomplished amazing things in my life. I, I just know that that would be something that would have elevated me um, and probably pushed me even farther than where I am now. So having that support of women who look like me would have been very, very beneficial and added a very important part of my journey as a graduate student. And just to give our listeners some context, like psychometrics is a very non-diverse field, more so than others. So yeah, that's totally understandable. Yeah, and, and it would have really been nice to see other women of color in specifically in our field. Thinking back to the early 2000s, uh, when I went to conferences and stuff, I didn't really see anyone um, in NCME, the National Council of Measurement in Education. In education. It wasn't there, okay? <laughs> it wasn't there. You would go over to AERA and you would see, mm. but it wasn't directly in our field. Mm. Um, so I didn't see that. Now I'm kind of seeing a little bit more but back then, mm. maybe they were in grad school when I was there or something. <laughs> I'm just, I, know. I didn't see anyone who looked like me. How do you think that those organizations um, accept or invite people that may not look like them? How inviting are they? How do they accept? Like, did you feel welcome? So at the conference, did you feel like... You just feel like a fly on the wall. Mm -hmm. Because... I don't think it's something that they realize or they would notice is because they're used to being around their own people. Mm -hmm. And so you're doing things that you want to do, like mm -hmm. go to the bar. I mean, that's fine, but I don't want to go to the bar. <laughs> Not <laughs> no, with you. <laughs> I don't want to go drink beer. I don't want to play, is it ping pong or whatever that stuff is called. <laughs> um. All right, so... As a professional, where were you able to get that support from? A network of professionals that look like you? Or have you been able to? Not right out, no. Not right out at all. I would say over time, I have. When Dr. Lett referred me to someone else at a 
Educational Research Institute, this lady, she provided some insight for me. And she introduced me to the thing that you did. Oh, the women in measurement? Yes. She told me about that. And I'm like, how long has this been around? She was was like, Tanika, you should be a part of this. And seriously, like, why wasn't that around when I was in grad school? Because if it was, I'm pretty sure it would have been brought to the table. Mm. Um, So um, I'm starting to see that type of support come around, maybe because the individuals that I may be around. And so, yeah, that's all I can say about that. Okay. So, Dr. Steed, what value, if any, did your experiences in graduate school add to your personal and professional life? It definitely set me up professionally. Like, knowing statistics inside and out, knowing a little bit about psychometrics and my love of evaluation, it definitely set me up where now this stuff is like, I breathe it in my sleep. Um, The other day I was just thinking like, this stuff is simple, but I have to get outside of myself to think that everybody doesn't know this, they didn't specialize in this. And this is something that I can continue to um, market myself as an expert on. But I, I'm telling y'all, it, it it is a struggle because who doesn't know the process of research? Like, I, for me, that is so easy and simple. Many people don't. We have these conversations <laughs> all the time. I'm just like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, it's supposed to be like this. And I'm glad y'all said that because I have to get out of my own way, my own mind. And in my own community, like, my community, ever since COVID, y'all live in Florida. So I had moved to Florida right before COVID happened. Mm. I moved January 2020. COVID capital, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best experience. I'm so glad I went. Because <laughs> it was just like being on vacation. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been in my own world, if you will, for the last three years. And navigating entrepreneurship is totally different. It's like going to school. It really is like having to learn about marketing, messaging, mm. ads. Uh, just every single thing, processing systems, like mm-hmm. it's a whole nother world. Um, and so I've been in that world for a while. And so when I think back to like who I am, what I do, what I love, back to, like I said, who doesn't know research, who doesn't know how to put an evaluation together, who doesn't know how to do interviews, who doesn't know how to do focus, you know, so <laughs> being in the program actually helped me be the expert and I'm proud of that and I really have to think about what I know is valuable to other people because it comes easy to me and personally I will say personally it was negative because I lost a lot of confidence in myself um, imposter syndrome like I'm still going through the process of trying to overcome imposter syndrome I don't know. I just beat myself up about everything. Like I said, I come from a small town. I come from, you know, half of my mom's family dropped out of high school. And so I feel like I don't properly know how to pronounce words, which I still don't. I don't give a crap now. But (laughs) it's like if I go back into those spaces, like, okay, do I shrink? Like, can I be me? Like, I want to show it like I'm showing up today. Mm -hmm, Like, that's who I am. I mean, of course I will, probably because I'm in my 40s now, and it's just like... <laughs> you don't care. <laughs> it's a crap, right? I am who I am. I'm not changing. 
And so now I'm finding myself like building those things back up and accepting like who I am because it's okay if I can't pronounce all the words. It's okay if I don't know all the words or know how to spell all the words or know the meaning to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't make me less than, you know, a person, especially when it comes to my expertise. I hope people take something away from that because that's what imposter syndrome really is, you know, um, especially being black and a, and a female on top of that, you come into these spaces and people expect so highly of you. I don't even want to say this, but then at the same time, they're in positions and they shouldn't be in those roles. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. Do they expect high of you or do you expect high of you? Um, we often grapple with, are these, do we, do we hold ourselves to higher standards or are we held to higher standards? Uh, I think it's both. Because as soon as they see PhD behind your name, they expect you to come in and to know this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one of the professors here at UNCG, I was working with her on evaluation. And I remember her saying this, I appreciate her for saying this. She was like, Tanika, when you leave graduate school and you get into a professional role, they're going to expect for you to know everything. Mm-hmm. Just get ready and prepare mm-hmm. for it. So it's on both ends, but I think knowing how to navigate that and go through that and taking what she said to know that, okay, if I'm going into a meeting or if I'm presenting something to make sure that I know what I know. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't know, just say you don't know and I get back to it. So I've learned those things through the years, but when I was young, it's just so much pressure put on you. You're trying to graduate, you're trying to pass these classes and all this kind of stuff. And then you have your personal life, which is really not a life anymore. (laughs) 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 No, I missed out. Oh, I feel like I missed out on like maybe five, seven years of my friends. Mm. Like I couldn't go to parties. I I mean, I could have, but I would have flunked. <laughs> I wouldn't be talking to y'all today. <laughs> I wouldn't at all. Um, but I, I appreciate her saying that. And even when I had my internship at Collegeboro Board, another woman that was there, um, she said the same thing. She was like, Tanika, keep your textbooks because you're going to use them over and over again. I still use my. I don't remember all this stuff. <laughs> but, but you know where to find it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like in grad school, this pressure is put on you. But then you get into the real world. It's this other thing. But still, they expect you to know. Mm. But still know at the same time. It's okay if you don't know anything. But mm. always be prepared. And then personally, yes, I think I put too much pressure. I know I put too much pressure on myself. And it's a work in progress. I mean, we all. I mean, I think applying to grad school is already an indicator that you hold yourself to high standards. So what does self-care look like? I know that may have not been like a buzzword when you started your program, (laughs) but what did it look like? Um, I knew how to take breaks. Like, I remember being here on campus, and that's when YouTube had just came. I would binge watch YouTube. (laughs) Makeup, beauty, fashion anything that was funny like I that was my self-care time I did Thais used to go get um massages so I started getting massages um she introduced me to that um I used to take trips so I would take trips throughout the year I would do those types of things and that's how I was able to have that self-care if you will. It's needed. It's necessary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. self-care right now is not connecting my emails to my phone. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is so good. Yeah, Boundaries. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Knowing all that you know now, what advice would you give to people um, like you thinking of going into grad school? 
number one, make sure you go in knowing exactly. And this is just me, like knowing exactly what you want to do. Um, it can kind of fluctuate, but remember, you are using your time, sometimes your money, and other resources. Maybe your family is sacrificing. So really have a goal and focus on that. Number two, I always say get money <laughs> because there's money out here in these programs, okay? Mm-hmm. Even if they don't have money directly inside the department you're going into, check other departments. Look at some of the federal government um, grants and opportunities. There's tons of fellowships and things out here to help you pay for school. I'm, I'm fortunate that uh, at UNCG, I pretty much had a full ride. I think every semester I had to pay maybe $900, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I'm always about the money, find the money. Mm-hmm. And number three, have fun during the process. Um, don't be too hard on yourself, <laughs> but make sure you can get all the A's you can. <laughs> Oh, a minus. <laughs> I hear you. And is there anything you wish you knew before you started the program? I wish I would have known what it looked like to be a psychometrician. I wish I would have known like what the work was, what it involved, because I would have been better prepared to go into that field, and maybe I will be working in that field now. I know one reason why I'm probably not in it because I, it didn't feel inviting. Mm-hmm. I feel like I wouldn't have the support that I need because of the experience that I did have while I was here by another white male in the program. Not a professor, in the someone, another graduate student in the program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I wish I would have had those types of experiences to see what it's like to be a psychometrician. And maybe one day, you know, the opportunity is still open. Um, like I said, I had an opportunity to work with another company. I mean, it didn't work out, but I, I'm, I'm going to keep the door open just to see what it looks like. Because I'm sure your perspectives are very much needed within psychometrics, even if the people there are <laughs> slow to the <laughs> to understanding the importance of it. Yeah. Well, we would like to thank you for coming and your time. It was so nice to sit down and chat with you and learn about your experiences. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed talking to you all. And I hope that whatever I said today, someone can take one thing away from it. Maybe it inspires you to go to graduate school. Maybe it inspires you to start that business, whatever that may be, or even travel the world and stand in your own truth. I I hope I had said something that sparks that idea in someone. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. Hey you, that's you. Don't forget to subscribe, hit the bell button, and the like button. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at underscore color of success. Bye-bye now.